and welcome to this Endo Life episode 116. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. This podcast is here to educate and shouldn't be used as a replacement for your current medical treatment. This episode is sponsored by my new free download, A Natural Pain Relief Toolkit for Endometriosis. This four-page guide includes some of the main natural pain relief and strategies that I use with my clients and that I personally use myself. These methods are evidence-based and effective and have even gotten some of my clients off their medication entirely and have helped them to experience their first pain relief, pain-free periods. To get your copy, go to the link in my show notes or go to my website and it's on the homepage there. If you just look at the top, there's an announcement bar and you can just click on that there. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So we're a couple of days away from Christmas and I just wanted to say for any of you who do celebrate Christmas, I'm wishing you a really lovely Christmas and to everyone else a lovely winter break if you're getting some time off and a really wonderful new year. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in all this year and for being so supportive and such a wonderful community it really means the world to me it makes such a difference to have you here so thank you so much yeah today's episode is continuing with the root causes series and this week I'm doing root causes of bladder pain and just to give you guys a head up heads up I'm also doing root causes of brain fog and fatigue, root causes of painful sex, and then I'm doing 10 strategies for alleviating painful sex. So that's what you can expect over the next couple of weeks. And again, just to recap for anyone who didn't hear last week's, I'm doing this um, because I did a poll on Instagram and you guys all wanted these episodes, um, like, literally they got like 95% votes. I think the only one that got like 79% was today's one, the bladder one. But I mean, 79% of you still want that. So definitely worth recording because I'm assuming that that means 79% of you have bladder pain. And we know that pelvic pain doesn't just begin and end with endopain. You know, more often than not, it's multi-layered 
especially as time goes on and, you know, living with a chronic condition takes its toll. And this is why having endo, it requires a multidisciplinary approach. It's not just about having one thing, like one surgery or taking one kind of painkillers. You know, in an ideal world, I would say like the standard protocol should be at minimum to have visceral manipulation, pelvic floor physiotherapy, surgery, and then the option to work with a nutritionist or dietitian who can provide you with information and help you work out what your triggers are, or at the very least, look at some supplementation options if, you know, if looking at diet and lifestyle was triggering for you. Because of this, I have been, you know, asking you guys a lot of questions and 75% of you said you had bladder pain. Um, And rather than just addressing the symptoms, I want to support you with addressing the root cause. So with bladder pain, you know, we can try and mask it with chamomile tea and marshmallow root tea and aloe vera um, supplements, which are going to be great in the short term in terms of getting us through. But we also want to work out why it's happening in the first place, because the body's telling us something is going on. And on top of that, if it's left to its own devices, it's likely going to get worse. And that's exactly what happened with me. You know, I've had bladder issues since I was probably 17 and they've progressively worsened over the years to the point where, you know, I'm where I am now with my bladder and it's not great. So I would hope that this episode helps you guys start exploring your options sooner than I did. I was so focused on endo and I thought it was just endo for so long and now and now I know it's not. So I hope that these root causes give you more information and more clues about what's going on with your pelvic health and your bladder pain and actually again you can begin carving this path to healing. And what you might do with these episodes is, you know, maybe it's about listening to all of them over time and then having a little think and thinking, well, what symptom is the most bothersome to me right now? And instead of trying to deal with, you know, bladder pain, bloating, painful sex, fatigue, you just start with one symptom and one root cause that you suspect might be a problem for you that maybe you need to get some testing for. Because let's just say it's SIBO. And I know I use SIBO as a big as a example a lot, but it's because so many of us have it. If it is SIBO and you have all of those symptoms, then treating that SIBO is going to massively alleviate a lot of the, those symptoms in many cases. Now, I appreciate that treating SIBO is a lot trickier because it's costly. I think I've said this before, but Dr. Jacoby's patient course is $29. So that can take you through the treatment and you can do it yourself. So that does save you some costs there. But you know, if you say you had all of these symptoms and let's say you see that the theme running through them all is that chronic stress affects all of these and you're like, actually, I'm a really highly stressed person. I have a lot going on in my life. It could be as simple as adding in some breath work and some yoga to help you slow down and calm down your nervous system. That could be the key thing that you start working on for like the next three months. That could be the one thing that could be the first step in your roadmap. It, you know, it doesn't have to be everything all at once. And like I said, by 
doing one thing, you will often see your symptoms begin to alleviate and other root causes becoming easier to manage. So yeah, I just want to remind you that this, these episodes, this series is a source of knowledge and information for you and empowerment so that you can plan out your own path to healing rather than kind of rooting around in the dark, you know, knowing you've got bladder pain, but not knowing the hell why. Um, I want you to be able to have information that you can work with rather than having to be ping-ponged from doctor to doctor. Again, see this as me turning on light bulbs around your bladder pain so that you're not in the dark. And if it feels overwhelming, turn off a couple of light bulbs. (laughs) Just focus on one of the light bulbs. Um, So I hope that helps. And if you get to the end of this series and you feel like, you know, you're still a bit confused about where to start. I have episodes on writing your own roadmap. I have articles on creating your own roadmap to healing. Of course, I've got my course coming out in January, on January the 18th. So there are lots of options for you. And again, I would just reiterate, start start simply with one thing. You don't have to know your entire roadmap. You don't know, you don't have to know exactly how you're going to get on top of your symptoms. You just have to know the next step. Okay, so number one is, of course, having endometriosis on the bladder. If you have endo on the bladder, it will be thickening and shedding each month along with your menstrual cycle, unless, you know, you're on hormonal birth control, but it can still continue to grow and break down as it does make its own estrogen. So hormonal birth control can suppress, you know, some of this, but not for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone. So when this shedding occurs, when the endometriosis lesions break down as if your, you know, as your uterus does, as your uterus wall does during your period, when this shedding occurs, the body sees it as a wound because, you know, rightly so, you've got kind of tissue and blood on areas where there shouldn't be a breakdown of tissue and blood. And the body sees it as a wound and so it sends inflammation and it attempts to heal the area. As a result of that, scar tissue is formed. And scarring and inflammation causes us pain, especially when it's excessive or chronic. It's the body's way of telling us it's something wrong. It's deliberate. We're supposed to feel pain when we get inflammation because it's the way that our body lets us know, like, you need to watch out, you've like cut your finger or you've stepped on their nail or something. So that is normal. What's not normal is when it becomes chronic. And so with endometriosis, the body is recognizing something's wrong. Nerves nerves are sending signals up to the brain to let the body know something's going on. There's this lesion on the bladder, it's breaking down, it's bleeding, it's not right. The body then triggers pain signals to let, sorry, the brain triggers pain signals to let us know something's wrong and inflammation is sent to the site to begin fighting infection and healing the wound and knitting up the wound with scar tissue. And what would ideally happen in a normal scenario is that that wound would heal as the body expects it to heal and over time the pain would subside. But the problem is, is that with these lesions, they're not healing they're actually resistant to our immune system. And so it becomes chronic. It doesn't go away. It might lessen because, you know, say you're the type of person whose endo really flares up on their period, you know, you might have less of a reaction because your 
in the other parts of your month because you're not shedding those lesions at that time. But the body is still responding with chronic inflammation because it knows that there's something wrong there and it can't get rid of it. And this becomes a cycle where it just continues to become inflamed because your body's trying to always fight it. And what's also interesting is that endo releases inflammation into the area, making the inflammation worse. And so not only is that going to be painful on that patch, but it's going to inflame the bladder. You know, our blood, the, the lesions don't exist in a vacuum. And actually, if you looked at a cross-section of the female pelvis, they're all so tightly packed together. You're bladder is right in front of your vagina and your uterus and then your vagina and uterus is right in front of your colon and then your small intestines sit on top so everything is very closely packed and if one area gets inflamed then another area can get inflamed very very easily so as i said previously i'm not going to be diving into solutions on these like in like much detail at all this is really about the root causes otherwise your, this would be like a four-hour episode. So, but I do want to mention that curcumin and fish oil, of course, on an anti-inflammatory diet, but curcumin and fish oil can be really helpful for actually targeting endometriosis lesions and cells and suppressing their growth and reducing their size. So I do have the doses of those in my episode, um, episode 102, um, I think it's six tips for healing pain or reducing pain before your period. And I talk about the doses for fish oil and curcumin in there. So you can totally have a look um, at that episode, even just the show notes and the references for the doses are in there as well. Okay. Number two is inflammation. So continuing on from the above, endo creates an inflammatory environment and unless controlled, inflammation can spread as a body attempts to heal and get our attention. So the inflammation, yes, in part is going to be coming, coming from endo lesions, but not just the endometriosis lesions alone. Inflammation may also come from an inflammatory diet, so a diet rich in trans fats, sugars, alcohol, conventional processed meats, processed foods. If you're intolerant to dairy or gluten or, you know, you could be intolerant to a certain healthy food, but if you're intolerant to it, it's an inflammatory to you. So you have the standard inflammatory foods like sugar, alcohol, trans fats, and then you have the ones that, you know, may be fine for other people, but aren't, aren't quite right for you. It can also come from chronic low-line infections. So for example, if you have a chronic UTI that you haven't been able to get diagnosed or treated, and I'm going to come back around to that because that's a whole root cause in itself. But if the body knows that there's a problem and the body knows that there's an infection somewhere, it's going to keep pumping out inflammation, especially if it's in your bladder. Additionally, inflammation can actually come from blood sugar dysregulation. We know that spiking our blood sugar with too much glucose from refined carbs and sugar, caffeine and alcohol can cause inflammation. That's, you know, it's in the research. It's sort of undisputable at this point. And so keeping our blood sugar levels stable is really important. One of the most crucial things we can do for balancing, um, sorry, for reducing our inflammation, but also for balancing our hormones. Um, I've actually got an episode on blood sugar and why it's so important to manage an endometriosis and keeping balanced hormones because without it, we could increase inflammation, we could increase pain, and we could actually increase estrogen dominance. So 
balancing blood sugar is a really wonderful way to to start to just ensure overall health, but also health with endo. Inflammation can also stem from the gut. 70 to 80% of the immune system lives in and around your gut. And if you have a problem such as undetected allergies or food intolerances, celiac disease, SIBO, leaky gut, or you know any other infection that may be parasites or worms, this irritates and inflames the gut and it puts the immune system on high alert and it begins to attack the allergens or infections, whatever is present in your gut or passing through into your gut lining. And because the immune system and the blood supply are right next to each other, just outside that gut wall, this inflammation easily spreads throughout the body. It becomes systemic. It passes into the bloodstream and it can also pass into the pelvic cavity, into the rest of the body. Now, if you remember my episode on bloating last week, I was explaining to you that your gut wall is like, think about sausage. The inside of the sausage is the inside of your gut. That skin around the sausage is your gut wall. It is very, very, very thin, but it's tightly knitted together. Now, what will happen if all of these irritants keep irritating the gut lining is eventually holes will form. So imagine that skin suddenly has holes forming. This is very gross analogy. I don't know how I'm getting into this. But now the sausage meat, I don't even eat like sausages. So this is, okay, so the meat is now like oozing out of the holes. That's essentially what's happening in your gut with leaky gut. Now, once it passes through that gut wall, you've then got your immune system and your blood supply on the other side, ready to absorb nutrients in terms of the blood supply, ready to attack in terms of the immune system. If the immune system now attacks with inflammation, that inflammation is going to spread throughout the bloodstream. And in terms of the pelvic cavity, again, if you look at a diagram of the pelvic and the pelvis and the abdomen, the small intestine and the intestines in general are sitting right above, like right on your bladder and your uterus. And so if bacteria or toxins from SIBO are leaking out, they could end up in the pelvic cavity. And these are inflammatory and they have been found in the pelvic cavity. So we know that these inflammatory toxins are somehow ending up in the pelvic cavity. And at the moment, the theory is is that they're coming from leaky gut. So obviously just to remind you that chronic inflammation causes chronic pain. And if you want to dive more into that, I've got a couple episodes on inflammation and nutrition and leading an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So I'm going to link to those in the show notes so that you've got um, some further, yeah, some further resources. Number three is SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. You guys knew it was going to come up. It is like the root cause of a lot of our issues. So SIBO, just to give you guys a recap, is when the bacteria that should be in your large intestine ends up in your small intestine. Your small intestine is only supposed to host a very small amount of bacteria. Its main role is to do the majority of absorption of nutrients. And so what happens is, for various reasons, the bacteria gets stuck there. The small intestine isn't designed to house that. So damage begins to occur. Nutrient deficiencies occur. Leaky gut occurs. But on top of that, you get a lot of IBS issues because the gut, the sorry, the bacteria is now fermenting the food that's in your small intestine. So you have a lot of bloating, you have a lot of gas. But 
interstitial cystitis or interstitial cystitis-like symptoms have actually been associated with SIBO, especially hydrogen sulfide type SIBO, which is the type that we haven't been able to test for yet until recently, the past couple of months, they brought out a test in the USA. Um, can't wait to get it over here. And so because we've now got this test, we're actually starting to understand more what's going on with hydrogen sulfide. And so, of course, it is likely due in part to the inflammation that is occurring in the gut that's aggravating the bladder. You know, the bladder and the gut are actually very closely, you know, closely situated. And as I said, we've got toxins coming from SIBO that are now leaking into the pelvic cavity because the gut wall is leaky. Those, those toxins are called endotoxins, by the way. And so those are causing inflammation around the bladder. So that, of course, could be affecting the pain there. But you also have histamine intolerance that commonly arises with hydrogen sulfide type SIBO, can arise with all of them, all the types of SIBO. There's three, methane, what's now called methanogen overgrowth, hydrogen, hydrogen sulfide, but histamine intolerance is really common with hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. And histamine intolerance can result in a painful bladder. But what's even more interesting is they've now discovered that some of the bacteria that causes hydrogen sulfide type SIBO in the small intestine is also the same bacteria that causes chronic UTIs. And the main ones that they've discovered so far is Klebsiella, Proteus, and Citrobacter, and E. coli. This means that certain UTI treatments may be effective for SIBO, which is so fascinating. Now, if you've taken these antibiotics in the past, you may have been resistant, and with SIBO, you need multiple rounds. So it might be that you need to take one type of antibiotic and then another type of antibiotic, and then some antimicrobial herbs that also work for bladder infections and SIBO, you might have to rotate through treatments. SIBO doesn't usually go away with just one treatment. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of it going away with just one treatment unless you're doing the elemental diet. So that's really good news because it means now that we can test out some different treatment options. And the treatment options that I'm actually doing at the moment are for their antimicrobial herbs that have been shown to work on UTIs as well as SIBO. So this is going to be really interesting to see what happens with that. So as I mentioned, you can get tested in the US for hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. You can also get tested for uh, methane and for hydrogen um, everywhere. My episodes with Dr. Alison Seebecker and my episodes on testing for SIBO, I'm going to put in the show notes and I'll put where I get my tests from as well. So you can have a have a look and see. You can order your test yourself. It's about £160 in the UK, probably about $200 in the US. You may be able to get in, on your insurance, but I, I can't guarantee that. Okay, number four is pelvic floor dysfunction. So the pelvic floor is like a complex bowl that holds your bladder, uterus, and rectum. The pelvic floor is made out of muscles and nerves, and these muscles and nerves control bladder function and sensitivity. Chronic pain, straining, pushing, um, and tensing up from the pain that we're in can actually cause the muscles to tense up, become tight, and almost kind of like lock, so function is reduced. 
they squeeze around the nerves because your muscles are tightening. They're now squeezing around the nerves and that ends up making the nerves hypersensitive. And the nerves can become so used to stenting out pain signals as well that they now do it more frequently than necessary and their response is heightened as well. If the dysfunction affects urination, this can become a cycle as the more we push to urinate, the tighter the muscles get and the more irritated the bladder becomes. And so you then just have this cycle. Even if urination isn't affected, the bladder might be hypersensitive or it might be restricted in movement because the area is so locked by muscles and tightness that your bladder can't expand properly, it just can't function properly, and that in itself can cause you pain and sensitivity. So really addressing the pelvic floor is one of the main things we can do for healing bladder pain. And so with that in mind, I would really recommend having a listen to my interview with Dr. Nicole Cozine, um, who is a pelvic floor specialist, and she works with IC patients mainly. And I, yeah, it's a brilliant episode. So I really recommend listening to that. And I'll put that in the show notes. Number five is histamines and oxalates. So there are a few links here. Oxalates in high quantities, or if we struggle to break them down, can actually cause crystal-like particles in the bladder, which causes irritation. So, I mean, imagine like raw edged crystals or diamonds floating around in your bladder. It might look pretty, but it's going to hurt, right? They're going to be scratching the scratching the bladder wall. And so if we are having trouble with breaking down oxalates, then they can end up in the bladder like that. Histamines can also become a problem on two levels. So some people with IC have higher levels of mast cells in the bladder. And these are the cells that release histamines. So we now have more histamines being released into the bladder and that could build, be building up in the bladder and, call, and be causing irritation and essentially a bit of an allergic reaction inside the bladder. Secondly, histamine intolerance may also be an issue. So I mentioned it briefly a minute ago, but this is when the body is un, unable to clear the amount of histamines in the body or they build up. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll kind of have an understanding of this. But histamines are, they play various roles in the body. But one of the key roles that we know them for is their role in inflammatory and allergic reactions. Uh, they're released from mast cells in response to a trigger, an allergen, or a threat. And they're released into the body to create, basically to protect us, um, attack whatever it is, get it out of the body. And that's fine in normal amounts and as long as we can process that histamine. But the problem is that people with SIBO or gut health problems may have difficulty breaking down those histamines. So we could then have this build up in our body. Secondly, endometriosis lesions release histamines. They have a higher level of mast cells in the lesions. We now think that People with IC have histamines in the bladder as well. And then you can also have mast cell activation syndrome, which is when your mast cells are actually overactive, they're oversensitive, and they're releasing histamines left, right, and center. So this can create a lot of histamine going on in the body. And on top of that, actually, I mentioned last week, not last week, sorry, in one of my episodes, that 
Excess estrogen can also produce excess histamine as well because estrogen creates histamine and histamine creates estrogen, so or at least triggers the production. So there's a lot of histamine going on in people with endometriosis and IC and gut health issues, and most of us do have that perfect storm. If we then can't clear it out, we're going to have a problem, an allergic reaction, and that may manifest as painful bladder syndrome. Or if we're just making too much in our body, you know, maybe we have the ability to get rid of it, but we're just making too much and our body can't cope with filtering it out at the rate it needs to be filtered out. Um, and that can cause bladder pain. If you want to learn more about allergies and histamine and endo and everything that I just mentioned, have a listen to my previous episodes um, on histamines and allergies. I'm going to link to those in the show notes. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes. This episode is sponsored by my new free download, Natural Pain Relief Toolkit for Endometriosis. This four-page guide includes herbal remedies and teas that are in your cupboards already, safe pain relieving supplements, essential oils for self-massage, and much more. There's a method for everyone, whatever your taste and your budget. Some of the options literally range from 40p to £10, so there is a range of things to support you. And the chances are that you're going to have some of these in your house already. So I'm hoping that this is a really accessible toolkit for you to get started. You know how I work. I like to make changes from our foundations of health, you know, nutrition, lifestyle. It's not about slapping on a load of like pain relief and supplements um, and kind of masking the symptoms. But sometimes we need a bit of help to get out the pain so we can actually begin to make some changes and feel better and these are the strategies that I use with my clients when they're stuck in the in a rut they don't have the energy um, and they're having too much pain to actually be able to take the first step forward so we just want to ease those symptoms get them out of pain so we can begin this coaching journey together so I'm hoping that if you're at this moment struggling to see the woods for the trees and get through some of your current pain that these methods are going to help you. To get your copy, go to the link in my show notes or just go directly to my website and the link is on the homepage. Number six is an upregulated nervous system. Your brain's primary job is to keep you alive. It's trying to keep you safe by constantly looking for threats And it's always on the lookout for something wrong in your body and around you in the environment that might pose a risk to your safety. Our nerves don't send signals to our brain all the time in the sense of a risk or a threat. They actually measure whether they think something's a risk enough before they send this message to your brain. Otherwise, you'll be getting alerts all the time. Only when something is an issue enough that it exceeds a certain threshold that an alarm is triggered to let the brain know that there's a problem. And then the brain responds with pain to get our attention and sends inflammation to the area to heal the wound. If the wound begins to heal, 
then the brain can calm down. But if the wound can't be healed, then the nerves send up more signals and the loop begins, like I was mentioning, with inflammation. And the pain, as a result, will continue to escalate. And this can occur with the bladder if endo is on the bladder or it's infiltrating the bladder. Or if the surrounding area is so affected that the nerves are now hypersensitive and are encompassing the whole area. So the inflammation and nerve sensitivity is affecting the entire area. There could be damaged tissue as well in the bladder. So perhaps there's tissue damage from infection or there's a chronic infection there. So there's going to, you know, something could be triggering the nerves to be sending up the signals. What's also incredible is that the more this loop continues, the more sensitive our brain wants us to actually be. It actually lowers the natural pain-relieving hormones such as serotonin and dopamine because it wants us to be aware of the threat and it wants us to feel the pain so that we know that something's wrong and we can actually do something about it. So as a result, we actually become more sensitive to whatever is going on in our bladder or in the area. Additionally, anything that puts the brain in flight or fight response, such as stress, fear, anxiety, rushing, will tell the brain it's not safe and the brain will have a stronger response to whatever is happening in the pelvis. And actually, research has shown that people with IC have a heightened stress response and an upregulated nervous system. And if you have tuned into my interview with Nicole Cousine, Nicole Cousine, she was explaining that your bladder might be fine but your nervous system is so upregulated, you're so stressed that your body's way of communicating to you that something's wrong, whether that's like emotionally or in your life, it may be that it's going to your bladder. It's causing you pain somewhere to get your attention. So I'm going to link to my interview in Nicole Cousine, Jessica Drummond, I think on her episode. Yeah, I'm going to link to my episode with Jessica Drummond about building a support network and kind of lowering your stress response in that way. And also my episode on an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which is all about reducing um, stress and kind of calming our nervous system down. Okay, number seven is Hunter's lesions. So Hunter's lesions are blisters or ulcers in the bladder, on the bladder lining, which are aggravated by acidic food and kind of other substances that enter the bladder, um, perhaps from food, bacteria, etc., um, medication supplements. Only a tiny minority, it's around 10% of people with um, interstitial cystitis actually have these Hunter's lesions, and they can be identified with a procedure called a cystoscopy, I knew I was going to struggle saying that word. Um, and it's when a camera is inserted in the bladder up the urethra, so just like a catheter would be inserted, and then a skilled surgeon could potentially remove them. But of course, something to consider is that we then have the issue of potential scarring building up and inflammation building up in the bladder. So I'm not quite sure how I feel about this approach. The benefits have been reported to be really significant, but actually not very long lasting. And Nicole Kazim reports in her book, um, The Interstitial Cystitis Solution, I think it's called, that it tends to only last for about a year. And so people will likely require multiple procedures. And I'm not sure how, on a long-term basis, how sustainable that is, but could definitely be necessary if you do have those Hunter's lesions. I'm going to link to Nicole's book 
our interview um, and a couple of other interviews on IC as well. So you can do a little bit more digging. Okay, number eight is biofilms. So biofilms in my eyes are sort of like the COVID of the bacteria world. Like they're very hard to treat and we don't really understand them yet. So biofilms are like a mucosal layer, a colony of bacteria, fungi, and other pathogens that have basically created this mucosal layer, this kind of network of fibers that form a protective shield around these bad guys so that they can exist in our bladder or wherever they are without the body being able to attack them and without being touched by antibiotics. So they kind of snuggle themselves onto our bladder wall and then they've got this blanket of like slimy mucosal stuff tucking them tucking them in and keeping them protected. Because they're protected and because they usually contain multiple different microorganisms, they are hard to treat with just one treatment and they are often particularly resistant to antibiotics. They don't come up on normal UTI tests, so it's really a case of paying for specific tests or trying natural biofilm disruptors that break them up. Now, biofilms is a whole other world to investigate. Of course, unless you're covered by insurance, getting these tests might be expensive. I'm going to link to an incredible article that I read on this um, by one of the world's kind of leading experts on this area. Um, I'm going to link to a podcast as well on biofilms um, so you can get an idea of what testing is involved. And you can buy over-the-counter antibiofilms, but I would do research on that before you do that. And I would ideally fo follow a protocol from a book or from... A, with a doctor or from a patient course, I'm definitely not recommending you to just take antibiofilms on your own without any guidance because they're strong, strong stuff. Number nine is adhesions. So adhesions are the body's attempt to heal wounds. They are like elastic bands of scar tissue that work their way towards each other to knit an area together like an incision. So if you think about you've had an incision for surgery, then these webbing kind of elastic band like scar tissue will kind of work its way towards other adhesions to knit together that wound. The problem is, is that they occur in up to 80 to 100% of abdominal surgery patients and they don't just knit together the, inc the incisions but they normally knit towards each other even if they're knitting themselves to the other side of the pelvis. So say you've got an incision on your left and your right, the right adhesion might want to make its way over to the left adhesion. And as a result, they can stick onto organs as well and onto the pelvic wall and link organs together. And they are incredibly strong. Now you can also get adhesions from the endometriosis lesions because like I said earlier, the body sees them as a wound and create scarring and inflammation and this can then create adhesions too. Personally, I actually have an adhesion from an, ex uh, an incision that I had just above my bladder and now the adhesion is attached to my bladder from my scar. And so when I urinate, I can feel that pulling and stretching. Sometimes it it's 
bad and it, it really hurts. I can feel it very strongly. Um, and I feel like the root of a lot of my bladder pain comes from that point, but it feels as if it's infiltrating into my bladder, whether that's, I don't think that's what is happening. I think it's more that the nerves are now hypersensitive around that point and it sort of echoes into my bladder. So it almost feels like the adhesion has created this through line through my bladder and it's just burning hot, this line, and it affects the entire bladder. So these adhesions distort organs and they pull them in different directions. They can affect, affect the functionality of them and they can even wrap around them and prevent them from expanding, like in the case of the bladder. So, you know, I've had clients who have had in some severe cases, adhesions wrapped around certain organs and that has then caused a blockage or it's caused, you know, just it's affected the functionality of that organ with the bladder, for example, maybe the bladder can't expand like it needs to. So in that case, you know, even if it's just that the bladder is being pulled a little bit, that could be incredibly painful and could also affect the way that you're urinating, it could affect the way that it's filling up. So all of these things can have an impact on frequency, urgency, pain, and pressure. I really cannot recommend visceral manipulation enough for treating adhesions. The research behind it is just incredible. And if you haven't heard of visceral manipulation, it is a form of massage that breaks down adhesions and frees up organs if the area has become bound and tight from scar tissue. You can get something called clear passage, which is very expensive, but it's kind of one of the best. And it's got all of the leading research for endo, SIBO, pelvic pain, infertility, but it's expensive. It's $5,000 in the US and £4,000 in the UK. So I totally appreciate that. That's probably not doable for the majority of us. There's also a type of visceral manipulation called Mercier therapy, which is also supposed to be incredible for pelvic health. And then you can also get visceral manipulation in general. There are lots of therapists. So I'm going to link to the databases for finding a visceral manipulation therapist. I'm going to link to interviews for clear passage and mercy therapy. Okay, number 10 is chronic UTIs. So if you're like me, you might have grown up practically drip-fed antibiotics. It seemed as though whatever was the problem that I had when I was a kid, there was an antibiotic for. And unfortunately, this creates resistance. And resistance is when bacteria no longer respond to antibiotics, they've adapted to survive. And that is a problem that we're facing today across the world as we've overused antibiotics and now we're getting superbugs because they've like learned how to adapt and survive and surpass our antibiotics. So as a result, this could mean that when I've gone to the doctors for bladder pain and I've had these UTI tests and I've had these antibiotics and I've continued to get worse, that potentially the, the bacteria in my bladder just aren't responding because they're resistant. So this means you could go to the doctors again and again for your bladder symptoms and you may have a positive test, but then you're not getting any results with the antibiotics and then the doctors, you know, they don't know what else to do. But the general tests that you get done at the GP for UTIs aren't the absolute best quality. They're not 
entirely thorough. And actually 50% of these tests can be wrong. So you might get a negative and it could be wrong. And also they're only looking for kind of the top line bladder infections. And so you could be missing a whole host of other infections that could be present. And what can occur over time is that the infection burrows into the bladder wall to protect itself from antibiotics and it can lie there dormant or active. Um, Biofilms can form as a result of this or it's just the bacteria on its own. And then I've kind of read two different theories here and both of them are from experts and seem right. I think they might just be kind of two different things that can happen. But the bladder can actually recognize that there's bacteria burrowing in the bladder itself and start shedding the lining to clear the bacteria. Now, when that happens, the immune system can attack the bacteria, but you may get flare-up of symptoms because the bacteria is no, no longer sort of hidden and dormant and it can become active again. Also, a women's health pelvic floor specialist um, that I spoke to was telling me how the bladder will naturally shed its line in any way, just like any cells in our body will do. You know, our skin sheds line in, new cells grow. And as that occurs, the bacteria that have been dormant move are moved forward to the front again and then become active. So you may get these flare-ups. So you may, may feel fine for a while and then you may get these flare-ups. And what can happen is if you're trying to, if this has already occurred and you're trying to treat antibiotics, it may not even be that those that bacteria is resistant to antibiotics, but that it's too protected and burrowed into the bladder wall for, for it to be touched. And like I said, this could be that you've now got a biofilm, or it could just be that that chronic UTI has buried itself into your bladder wall. So then you have this long-term UTI causing inflammation and irritation, and it may be that it's disappearing and then flaring up again. Now, there is one expert leading nurse practitioner um, in this area who's really got some incredible research um, and case studies on this, and she uses specialist testing for chronic UTIs and IC patients. And what's incredible is 100% of her patients have tested positive when she's used this advanced testing. Not all for the same infection, but for some infection, and often they have multiple. So I'm going to link to her article. I'm going to link to her website to work with her. Apparently, she trains other practitioners. I can't find that because, oh my gosh, I would love to train if I could. But there must be some practitioners out there who are trained by her. So it could be a case that you could reach out to her um, and ask. I believe she's based in America, but just double check. So if your test comes back from the doctor and it's negative, ask if there are any more extensive tests that they can do um, or look into private testing if you can afford it. I'm going to link to my interview with Nicole Kazin because she talks about that briefly. Um, I'm going to link to this article that I mentioned with the nurse practitioner. I'm going to link to the biofilm interview and I think there's one or two chronic UTI ones that I can link you to as well. Um, and also IC Wellness, I'm going to link you guys to as well for further information on chronic UTIs. So to recap, 10 of the most common root causes for bladder pain with endo are endometriosis on the bladder, chronic inflammation, SIBO, pelvic floor dysfunction, histamines and oxalates, an upregulated nervous system, Hunter's lesions, biofilms, 
adhesions and chronic UTIs. I really hope this episode has been informative for you and helpful and it's given you new insights and rather again rather than overwhelming you I hope it's given you hope that there are answers and I hope you have a lovely Christmas. I was about to say a lovely new year but actually I'm still releasing podcasts so I will speak to you again before new year. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 